Karlsson, Karlsson, världens bästa Karlsson Karlsson, Karlsson, hoj här kommer Karlsson Karlsson, Karlsson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Karlsson Skulle jag så bra som mig Karlsson, Karlsson, Karlsson scores Karlsson, Karlsson, världens Welcome everybody to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the longest running fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who maybe didn't break out as podcasters like uh, Alex DeBrinkett or Kevin Lankin in this past year, but I think we had a solid Pew Suter year. I'll take that. I'm your host, Elon Dubrovsky. I've got a really fun interview for you today because I'm talking, as you could tell, about the Chicago Blackhawks with the best of the best, Mark Lazarus from The Athletic and the Lazen Powers podcast. It was such a fun conversation. I think you're really going to like that. I know I say that at the beginning of all these interviews, but I've really enjoyed it. This is our fourth interview we've done now for this 32 Beats Beat Writer series, and it's all they've all been gems, I think, and this one is definitely no exception. So I'll get to that in just a second. Of course, first let me mention that Keeping Carlson is presented by DauberHockey.com, the number one fantasy hockey website in the whole world, and that is not an exaggeration. It's the best. you got articles every single day just letting you know the fantasy values of all the different players that are doing things in the playoffs, looking at cap stuff, prospects. It's all there at Dauber Hockey, and the tools at Frozen Tools can't be beat. So that's DauberHockey.com. But okay, with that, I will will spare no more moments. Let's cut to my interview with Mark Lazarus about the Chicago Blackhawks. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Keeping Carlson, our 32 Beats Beat Writer series. We've got a really special one for you today because I am joined by the senior writer from The Athletic for the Chicago Blackhawks and, of course, the co-host of the Lazen Powers podcast, Mark Lazarus. Welcome back to Keeping Carlson. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me again. Yeah, it was such a fun interview last year. I actually just listened to it, so I'll reference it as we go. But yeah, I'm really excited to hear your updated thoughts on the Chicago Blackhawks. Last year, I asked you about if they're kind of still rebuilding or if they're ready to become a playoff contender. And you commented they're sort of in this like middle ground, like hoping to line up the growth of their young players with, you know, Kane and Taves still being championship caliber for a final run. And like, at least on the surface... This looks like another middle-of-the-road season for Chicago. The team landed 6th in the Central, so not terrible, not amazing. 11th last in the league, 24-25-7 record. But of course, like the Hawks have some excuses this year, right? They were without Captain Taves for the entire season. Kirby Doc missed the majority. Uh, they decided to go at things without an established goalie. And really, if you take a look, like take out the terrible 2-4-3 start, where they could only beat Detroit, and take out their terrible finish, they went 2-5-2 and two to end the year. Like In the middle there, they actually were pretty good. They were 20-16-2, if you do that math. So I guess my first question is, are the Hawks fans and the organization like optimistic that if Taves is back and their young players and goalies, you know, have another year of experience under their belt, can we potentially see this team as a playoff team in 21-22? Or do you think that there's still like a lot of work that needs to be done? Well, there's a lot there. Um, if if you take out the bad times, yeah, they were pretty good. That's that's <laughs> true. Um, it, it's interesting because you, you mentioned, I do remember saying things like that. That was my mindset going into last offseason. And then in October, they just they let Corey Crawford walk. They send a letter to to fans saying they're rebuilding, and everyone was braced for a dead last Detroit style season. Right, but they still finished, like you said, kind of middle of the pack. So I think this kind of middle of the pack that was a step forward. That was a good thing. That was a positive sign because they really did embrace the rebuild as much as you can with the contracts they have. They they played. I think I think eight or nine, ten players made their NHL debuts, and and only a couple of them were kind of one off guys. Like like eight eight different guys scored their first NHL goal this this season. You had you know rookies come in that were instant contributors like Pew Suter, uh, Philip Kurashev, um, 
you know, obviously you had, you had some, some of the rookies, Ian Mitchell and Nick Bodan on the back end. You had uh, Brandon Hagel come out of nowhere to be a very productive player. Uh, they they filled in the gaps pretty quickly with all these rookies. So the fact that they were middling, mediocre, uh, was a pretty positive step. This was a positive season for the Blackhawks in a lot of ways. I know the fan base is still upset and they think that, you know, it should be 2013 every year, but it doesn't work that way. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, they're still in they're still in the early stages of this rebuild in my mind. Um, they're not going to be able to make the cores, you know, windows line up. You know, we'll see what happens when Kane, Taves, and Keith's contracts are all up in a couple of years. But at least they have a lot of young guys in the system that have proven they can play in the NHL. Um, guys you can be excited about, like Kirby Doc and Adam Boquist, and you, you, know, you hope that you see that progression. We'll see what they do this offseason, but, you know, they're in the process. They are in the middle of the process, but at least there's a direction now. At this point last year, there was no direction. You, they were they had one foot in and one foot out. At least right now, they are going young and they are looking for you know two or three years down the road. A playoff team next year, that's asking a lot. The central division is going to be pretty tough when when it's all back to normal, but they're going to be in that periphery again. They'll be in the picture potentially. I think that's best case scenario. Their their contention years, if they come, are still going to be two, three, four years off. Okay, that's fair. So maybe I won't go and make my Chicago Blackhawks 21-22 cup bet. I wouldn't uh, do that. Your yeah. odds would be, you get really good odds. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. I mean, just because I have so many interesting players I'm going to be asking you about that I'm excited about, but probably, yeah, I don't want to get overly optimistic, though I'm very curious to get an update on Jonathan Taves, right? Because he's such a big part of this team. He missed the Aren't whole we all? year. Yeah. So I guess uh, maybe then that answers the question. Because I was going to ask you, do you have any update on how he's doing? And like, do we expect him to be back next season? Like, what have you heard? Uh, I wrote extensively about this about a week or two ago in a mailbag about like the weird position that a lot of us reporters in. we know more than we can report, but we can't report what we know because nothing's really concrete. There's been nothing official. There's been no official word. Taves hasn't spoken. The team hasn't really said anything. What we do know is he's doing better. You know, Darren Drager reported that we confirmed that not that long ago. I think it was in early April. He is doing better. The team is optimistic that he will be ready to play next season. But it's all a big, giant question mark right now. We just don't know because we don't know exactly what he's dealing with. We don't know, you know, uh, we don't know where he's at. We don't know how long it's going to take him if he's when he's better to get back into game shape. He hasn't played in a year and a half by the time the season starts. Like, we don't know what to expect. The, The expectation and the hope is that he will play next season. But that's far from etched in stone. Right. Okay. So I guess uh, when we talk about some of these other players, I'm going to be asking about where they're going to slot in the lineup. We'll have to keep in mind that we have no idea if Taves is going to be there. Or right. Not, which, it, makes... It, it, which, which makes Stan Bowman's job kind of difficult this summer, yeah. doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. Especially if he wants to sign a UFA and like, what position do you go? Okay. Well, here's one position where I think we pretty much know what's going on, and that's in net. Uh, going into the season, it seemed like the Hawks would be using a Subban Delia tandem after losing Crawford and Leonard from the previous season, which seemed like it would be a huge step back. But then out of nowhere, or maybe not to you, uh, it didn't take long for a 26 year old rookie uh, Kevin Lankin to completely take over he put up some really impressive numbers especially behind like this weakish Chicago D like through March 30th Lankin was having this phenomenal season he was 13 8 and 4 he had a 921 save percentage through his first 25 games then the wheels kind of came off over the last month just like I said it happened for the whole team they, dr- they drove him into the ground they were starting him every day and they were playing every other day and they just drove him right into the ground right yeah so I guess that's gonna be yeah I want to know from you what your opinion is on like is what we saw in those first 2.5 months kind of for real assuming that you know they have a more standard team and you know it's not a weird covid season like should we expect Lankinen to be locked in as the starter for like years to come as this like great goal 
portfolio or do you think you know the job will still be up for grabs and it'll be once again like an open competition uh, he certainly has the leg up he's the number one right now and you know I, he, he didn't completely come out of nowhere at least within the organization you know they signed him out of finland and he was you know he was a, he was a big time player in finland and then when when finland won the world championships a couple of years ago that's when lankinen really kind of like wow this guy's going to be in the mix so he was it was very much a three-headed monster coming into the season it was delia suban and lankinen though he got the last chance he was the third goalie to go which means he got to avoid tampa and florida in those first four that's games true, which yeah. played to his advantage he came in against detroit if i remember right but um you know it, it's interesting i i, I lankinen's a good goalie he is a legitimate NHL caliber goaltender. The sense I get talking to scouts around the league and people who understand goaltending more than I do is he's a 1B. Like he's not a guaranteed number one 55 start a year guy. Um, so does that mean that Subban uh, or Delia can kind of cut into his playing time? Does that mean they go out and sign a veteran to push him a little bit? Like a, like when they when they signed Cam Ward a few years ago, do you pick up a guy like that just for a one-year contract to push Lankin in and give, and give yourself a little bit of a safety net. You know, they, they, they picked Drew Comesso in the second round last year in the draft. They're very high on him. He's up, mm. you know, playing college in Boston and he's still probably a couple of years away, but he's, he factors into the long-term decision. Do they draft a goalie at number 11 this year? Distinctly possible. You know, I, I wouldn't advise it necessarily, but there are a couple of goalies that are in that 10, 11, 12 range by most of the rankings you see. And, you know, if, if when you see what, Andre Vasilevsky's doing, you know, maybe going after a goalie in the first round is not a bad idea. So I don't know yet. Um, he's the guy right now. He is the clear front runner. He enters the season as the number one, even if they go out and sign somebody. But, you know, he's going to have to do it again and do it better to entrench himself in the long term. He's, he's signed through next year. All three of these goalies are signed through next year. So the Hawks still have a lot of flexibility at that position. But right now, Lankinen's the guy. It's really cool. And yeah, it definitely makes sense. Like from a fantasy perspective, also, like you kind of don't want to trust a player who's only had one good year. Right. You want to see yeah. At least a couple. And so, yeah, I'll be very Especially busy. this year of all years. Like you just don't want to put any stock into this year. But yeah, that's fair. He, 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 he looked absolutely like a legitimate number one goalie for a, a pretty significant stretch of the season. I mean, he's, he's a good goalie. He's going to be in the league. And you think that the fall off at the end, that was just basically oh, they, just being overworked? Yeah, I mean, he never played a schedule like that coming out of Europe and coming out of Rockford. Uh, he, they just, especially this compressed season, and, you know, they were kind of on that periphery of that playoff positioning again, and he was their best goalie. So, you know, Jeremy Carlton rode him hard, and you do that to a young goalie, and sometimes that's going to happen. Yeah, it's fair. I feel like any rookie hits a yeah. wall sometimes, especially a goalie. So, okay, let's talk about someone who didn't slow down pretty much all year, and that's Alex Dabrinkit, the oh. huge standout for the Blackhawks this season. He's had a really interesting four-year career at this point, right? Like, he had a 53-point rookie season, then this, like, awesome sophomore campaign, scored 41 goals, uh, 76 points, then he dipped back to 53-point pace in 2019-20, and, and I asked you about him last summer, and you kind of said that he'll be, you know, probably somewhere in the middle. Like, he's not as bad as he was in 2019-20, but maybe not like as good as he was in 2018-19. But like, you know, I guess, I don't know, the stars aligned or something because you were right that he was going to end up as a 32 around uh, a 30 goal guy, but it was 32 <laughs> goals in, in 52 games, which would be a 50 goal pace yeah. over a normal 82 game season. So obviously it helped that he spent the majority of the season with Kane, that he saw more power play time than he ever has in his career. So do you think now as the updated of the same question from last year, do you think what we saw from Dabrinkit this past season is for real and he's going to be like a top five goal scorer in the league next season as well? Or was this kind of like lightning in a bottle, pretty unlikely to repeat? I'll say this. Patrick Kane was fifth in the league in scoring this year, and Alex Dabrinka was far and away the best player on the Blackhawks this year. Wow. He was phenomenal. And again, it, it's 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 not just goal scoring. He somehow he 
instantly became this amazing two-way player. He was killing penalties by the end of the season and doing a really good job of it. And no, nobody ever foresaw Alex Dabrinkit killing penalties in the NHL. But he became this like little mini Marion Hosa running around where he's lifting sticks and stealing pucks and back-checking. He's ferocious in both ends of the ice. He's this little five-foot-seven dynamo. He was absolutely spectacular this year. He, he had kind of a slow start. Then, you know, he went into COVID protocol and he came back and was just this amazing dynamic player all the way rest of the way through the season. He became a leader. He, he, they slapped an A on his jersey because, you know, Brent Seabrook was out all year and, 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 and Taves obviously being out. Uh, this was his coming out party. I mean, as far as I'm convinced, he's now a star player in the NHL. He's not just some one-dimensional, going to score 30-goal guy. He's going to score a, a crap ton of goals, all, but he's also going to contribute in all areas. He's going to be, like, leading the league in shorthanded goals at one point in the next five years. Like, he is – I don't know what happened. I mean, it's his fourth season. He just, he just keeps getting better. And, you know, last year, as we talked last summer, it was fluky, man. He just – a guy like him is not supposed to shoot, like, 5%, and that's what he was mm. shooting five-on-five five last year. We knew that wasn't going to be sustainable. This year, he was scoring from everywhere, kind of like he did as a second year. But it, it, it's not just the goals. He's, he's become a terrific playmaker. He's become a very good defender. Uh, he's an all-around star now. He is an outstanding hockey player. And 37 people passed on him in that draft that year. They are just, just kicking themselves right now. Yeah, that's wild. Well, I guess also it helps that I guess Jeremy Carlton believes that he's a star. Because I remember also when we were talking last summer, you were saying how he wasn't getting the best line mates in that 2019-20 season. But this year, like I said, he was playing, you know, top power play the whole time, uh, you know, playing with Patrick Kane. Well, where else was he going to play? Everybody else was hurt. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I guess that's the big question, right? Which I guess we won't be able to answer. Like if Taves comes back, you know, Doc is playing all season. There's only so many spots on the top power play. But I'd imagine at this point, Debrinkit has it locked. Well, that's what's going to be interesting. He he formed some really, really nice chemistry with, with Patrick Kane early in the year. But then Carlton started splitting him off from that a little bit to try to spread the wealth. And it's going to be really, I mean, if if Jonathan Taves does come back next year, I imagine Debrinkit will be on Taves' line because that way you could put, you know, you could put Doc with Kane and maybe Lucas Reichel comes in, the number one pickup from a year ago. He comes in. He's the kind of player that if he's as good as we think he's going to be, would be a really nice compliment to Kane. Then if you have, you know, to bring it Taves, Kubalik, Taves and Kubalik have great chemistry. That's a, that's a pretty good top line. Mm-hmm. And then your second line is Reichel, Doc, Kane. And then you've got, you know, you can mix in, you know, Suter and Strom and Kurashev and some of these guys in your third line. All of a sudden, the Blackhawks forward group looks pretty darn good. Yeah, that's why I'm telling you, I'm optimistic about this team. I look at it and I'm like, this looks but, like it could be a strong team, but I guess you need at, defense. Have you looked at the blue line? Have you looked <laughs> right. at the blue line? Well, I read an article <laughs> that you wrote about how they're going to take care of that in the offseason. They're going to sign a big UFA defenseman, right? Uh, they they want to. They would. They they, they like the. They're, they're they're certainly entertaining the idea of either trading for Seth Jones or signing Dougie Hamilton. I'm not convinced that's the best way to go. Uh, they've already got too many guys in the way of their young guys. I mean, if 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 this is going to become a really good defensive group, it's going to have to come from within. And if you're going to re-sign Nikita Zadorov, which they seem to be intent on doing, and you got Riley Stillman in there, and you still got Duncan Keith, and you still got Connor Murphy, and what if Seattle doesn't take Calvin DeHaan? Where are these guys going to play? This team desperately needs a number one defenseman. Don't get me wrong, but unless Seth Jones is going to sign immediately. That's a huge risk. You're going to give up some major pieces for a guy who still wants to test the waters. Right. And Dougie Hamilton, do you really want to give out a seven-year contract to, you know, I like Dougie Hamilton. I'm on the pro-Dougie Hamilton bandwagon. Not everybody is a believer in Dougie Hamilton, that he's a full all-around defense. And they think he benefits from playing with Jacob Slavin, that he's a one-dimensional guy. I like him a lot. I think he'd be a good fit. But 
giving out seven-year contracts to guys in their mid to late 20s has been a dicey formula for the Blackhawks in the past, and I'm not sure that's the best way to go. Yeah, well, they won a couple cups, but then it's been a bit tough with the <laughs> contracts nowadays. See, what, uh, I've, what I've written they should do is they should go out and sign Alec Martinez to like a one or a two-year deal. Yeah. A, a, a bridge to Adam Boquist or Wyatt Kalanuck or one of these guys becoming your number one defenseman. That's the way to do this. Don't commit seven years to anybody at this point. Hey, I'm down for that. I've been a big fan of Alec Martinez for a while. That's going like to be a tough podcast. one for Hawks fans to swallow. They still remember the 2014 Western Conference Final. He scored that overtime winner in Game 7 before doing it again two weeks later in the Stanley Cup Final. And uh, Alec Martinez is a dirty word around Chicago. That's going to oh, take wow. some getting used to. It's like That's when they funny. signed Daniel Carcillo. That, that took some time, too. Well, LA has been like bad for a while now, and now he's not even on that team anymore. He's like, I feel like it's time to let it go and uh, embrace him into the fold if he signs. But yeah, so then speaking of the D, then so what about Adam Bokvist? Like, is this a guy that we can expect to be number one defenseman? He was like, you know, picked eighth overall in 2018. He saw a slight uptick in production in 2020 uh, He had 16 points in 35 games versus 13 and 41 in his rookie season. That could uh, directly be tied to an increased power play role. I see he was you know, slotted in as the top power play quarterback for the 35 games he played he put up eight power play points versus two the year before uh only turning 21 in a couple of months so yeah how are the hawks feeling about him it sounds from what you were saying that they don't see him as a, a potential like new duncan keith well it, it's hard to say i mean when duncan keith was adam Boquist's age he was just finishing up his last year of junior and was staring at two full years in the ahl before he cracked the nhl people are trying to pass judgment on Boquist already. He's already two years ahead of schedule. When he was drafted, he said himself, I'm two or three years away from the NHL. Oh, that's, that's right about now where he is, is three years away from that. So, you know, he, he would have been probably better off spending the last two years in Rockford as opposed to Chicago, but they needed him in Chicago. And frankly, he's done a pretty good job. He's a pretty solid guy. We, we haven't seen that dynamic offensive ability he has because I think he's so concerned with the defensive end of things because that was his weakness that he's kind of almost afraid to unleash the beast a little bit. And he needs a defensive partner that can really let him let loose offensively. And that hasn't really happened yet, but he, he did. I think he just turned 21. You know, Kale McCarr was in college when he was that age, all right. these, all these young defensemen that we point to that are so good. They weren't doing this in the NHL at 21 defensemen take more time. And Boquist has done his learning in a very public setting in the NHL. And the fact that he has gotten better and is improving and is, turned into a pretty solid defensive player uh, is promising. Is he a number one? I don't know that yet. I'm not convinced he's a number one. And when you're drafting number eight overall, you want him to be a number one. But he is uh, 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 right now a serviceable NHL defenseman. And at that age, that's impressive. The question is, how much more can he progress over the next couple of years? Yeah, it'll be interesting to find out. Like he only was averaging like less than 17 minutes of ice time this season. So right. it'd be cool to see if he could like, you know, get that step forward. It's up to the coach, I guess, decide that he <laughs> trusts him to do so. Uh, so, yeah, I guess, like, sticking with the younger guys, let's talk about Kirby Doc, who, you know, unlike Alex DeBrinkett, like, we had high hopes for him going into the year, then unfortunately, uh, we didn't get to see much of him because things got derailed pretty quickly. He suffered that wrist injury in a World Junior Championship pre-tournament game, costing him the majority of the season. He did end up getting in on some action at the end of March, and right away, he was given, like, top deployment. He was playing the majority of his time with Kane and or DeBrinkett, and on the top power play, he ended up producing two goals and eight assists, so 10 points in 18 games. It's a 46-point pace. 
uptick from what he was doing the year before, also in limited action. Uh, so I guess then I did see that he was held out of the final four games of the season, like he had re-aggravated his injury or something. So I guess my two questions are, first of all, what's like his status? Like, should we expect him to be back to 100% in 21-22? And then also, I'd love to know, like, assuming that he's able to play at his best, I feel like this would be a great time for him to have a big breakout to Brinkett style if he's going to get a full season, if, especially if he's centering Patrick Kane. Yeah, his wrist should be fine. I mean, they said he came back like a month earlier. Like we we didn't think he was going to play at all this year. And then it was going to be like in late April. And he came back a month earlier than that. Like he healed real fast, but he was dealing with wrist pain. The doctors basically told him, you can play. It's going to hurt. And eventually, I think I think that took its toll. And they, they said, you know what? You're, if it's hurting this bad and you're this much discomfort, let's, there's no reason to play these last handful of games already out of the playoffs. So uh, it's not a long-term concern, I don't think. Um, but that that's kind of what happened there. So I, I think this this entire year, like he looks so good in that summer camp last year and then in the bubble in Edmonton that people thought, oh my God, he's going to be a monster this year. So when he got hurt, it was really deflating because that was the thing that Hawks fans had to cling to this year. And, you know, he, when he came back, he came back early and he wasn't quite that guy again. And people are like, oh crap, were we deceived? And I think you have to almost write this whole season off. This was not a normal season for him in any way. And he showed enough flashes. He's going to be fine. The question with Kirby Doc, and this is like the eternal debate that I have with you know scouts and people within the, the Hawks organization and Hawks fans even, is what is Kirby Doc's ceiling? Is he Jonathan Taves? Is he a dynamic two-way player who can score almost a point a game? Or is he a 45, 50 point guy. Is that, is that his ceiling or a good solid defensive center who can kill penalties, who can play under power play, but he's a 50 point guy. He's a uh, Nick Bugstad basically is because what as has one person described him is he's either Jonathan Taves or he's Nick Bugstad. There's nothing in between. Big that's range. a big, big range. Exactly. So that's, you know, we haven't seen the offense. We haven't, well, that's not true. We, we see offense and we don't see the finish. He hasn't learned how to finish yet. So he creates all these great chances. He makes these Matthew Barzell-like rushes through the neutral zone and you know makes guys look silly, and then he doesn't score on those chances. He's a chance-generating machine, but he doesn't finish. Can you learn to finish? Sure, maybe. They're working on it. He's with skills coaches every day trying to do that. And, you know, Brian Keene and some other guys. But until he proves he can be a 25-30 goal scorer, a 70-point guy, then his ceiling is lower than that. So... Uh, you know, if, if Jonathan Taves can come back in a 33 be his old self, then Kirby Doc's a fantastic number two center. If he's going to be your number one center, he's got to be able to produce more than he does. And I'm very high on Kirby Doc. I think he's a fantastic young player who's got all the tools, all the work ethic, everything you need. He's just got to prove he can score. Right, yeah. So definitely not a sure thing, but I don't know. Uh, between you and me, I'm seeing Kirby Doc as a really good sleeper. In it's a, for it's, next year. it's a very high floor for him, I think, as an NHL. Right. The question is the ceiling. Yeah, that's fair. Hey, and if he's having trouble finishing, just give it to Alex Debrinkit. Like you said, he's scoring. Right, put him on a lot. If he's between Debrinkit and Kane, he's going to get his points. Yeah. Uh, okay, so then another player I asked you about last year was uh, Dominic Kubalik, who had had that amazing 2019-20 breakout. And you just basically respond saying, hey, this is the Hawks specialties, European scouting. They always bring yeah. in these European guys and they, and they end up producing. And then listening back, I feel like I should have just asked you who's next, because I'm sure you would have told us about the latest import, <laughs> Pew Suter, who you mentioned earlier. He made an immediate impact packed in his first season uh he was centering Kane to Brinkett for a bunch of the year put up a respectable 27 points in 55 games I'm curious like what is the long-term plan with a guy like Pew Suter because assuming that Jonathan Taves is back and then Kirby Doc is like second line center like you said are we looking like a bottom six guy and and this kind of like 40 point pace is like the high end of what we can expect from him moving forward or do you think there's a chance that Carlson like rejigs things put someone on the wing so that Pew Suter could still be like a top six guy 
Well, it's interesting because Suter came in and he was a winger, not a center. He hadn't played much center. Oh. And the expectation was he was going to be like a third liner. And then he comes in. He's like, yeah, I can play center. And he plays center really well. And he's productive. And he's the top six guy because they need his centers, obviously. So he can play anywhere in the lineup. Uh, he did play some wing. But, yeah, the center thing was kind of a nice surprise where he hadn't played center in a couple of years. And he was, you know, very adept at it at the NHL level. Like, he's a really good, versatile player, you know, just like. You know, Kubalik's kind of, he's the big goal scorer. But before that, you had Dominic Cahoon, just kind of a useful, versatile guy. You can play up and down the lineup in kind of any role. These are the guys that they've been so good at mining Europe for. Um, Suter's interesting because they've got all these young guys in the system, and you've got some draft picks coming up. And, you know, where do Kubalik and Suter fit? In the past, these European guys, by the time they're ready for their next big contract, the Hawks move on from them. They trade them away. They, they, the, the reason they need Europe so badly is because they need guys on entry-level contracts because mm-hmm. they have so many big contracts. So, you know, we've heard talk that maybe Kubalik gets moved in the near future to make uh, to, to free up some cap space to do some other jiggering around the lineup. You know, maybe that's Pew Suter's fate, but uh, Colleton loves him. He's a really useful, valuable uh, guy who can kind of play in any role and succeed. I don't know what his future is. If he's your third line winger or even your third line center, if Dylan Strom, for whatever reason, doesn't uh, doesn't pan out, then that's a pretty good spot for him to be in. He's that he's 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 a very good third line player, I would say, and a pretty good second line player and an acceptable top line player. I think that's where you're at with him. Okay, that's fair. So we probably shouldn't be expecting, if things go well for Chicago, for him to be getting a lot of time with Patrick Kane in the right. But on the other hand, anytime someone gets hurt, he's your plug and play guy, right? There you go. Yeah, like he he's a waiver wire pickup at, 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 at a moment, so, or a guy you stash on your bench and wait till somebody gets hurt. Oh, he's playing with Zabrinkit now. Put him on there. Yeah, for sure. And I guess, yeah, you brought up uh, Kubalik. He kind of took a step back, I guess, uh, to a 55-point pace after that like torrid run at the end of last season. Would I be correct in uh, assuming that this was a big part of that was that he was lining up with like Hagel and Kampf yeah. as opposed to Jonathan Taves? Well, that's just it. I mean, when when his season took off two years ago, it was because he got moved up to the top line with Jonathan Taves and Brandon Saad. He's exactly the kind of player that Jonathan Taves needs to play with. The guy with the big shot comes streaking down the wing and just blast a one-timer and score some power play goals. Uh, Kubalik's he's he's an absolute legit NHL goal scorer. He is going to score a bunch of goals. Uh, I don't know if he's more than that, if he's just kind of a one-dimensional player, but he's really, really good at that one dimension. He, he's out there. He works hard. He's a useful guy. Uh, he's a top six player in the NHL. He's a, he's a 25-30 goal scorer in the NHL, and he's going to continue to be, um, especially if he's put in a better role, again, with Jonathan Taves as a center because the two of them clicked immediately. Right, yeah. Or like you said, maybe he gets moved somewhere else, and then it'll be interesting to yeah. to see what he can do. But obviously, then that won't be your concern anymore. <laughs> uh, one guy that I guess will still be your concern for quite a while is Lucas Reichel, who you brought up earlier. I wanted to get your thoughts on him, do a bit quick prospect talk. Is it fair to say that Reichel is the Hawks' like, number one prospect at this point after being drafted in the first round last year? He had a good season in Germany. I'm seeing 27 points in 38 games as an 18-year-old. Is he someone that Chicago sees as like, you know, their premier prospect and someone who might even get some playing time in Chicago pretty soon? Well, yeah. Yeah, because every other prospect played in the NHL last year, so they're not prospects anymore. He's right. He's clear. They don't really have much beyond Lucas Reichel at this point. Uh, no, they're very high on him. Uh, he, you know, he, he was picked. I think it was 17th overall, and you know, Hawks fans were all gnashing their teeth because the Hawks beat Edmonton in the playing round. And like, oh, we could have been picking 11th instead. We're picking 17th. Well, they got a guy who looks like he's going to be an NHL player next year. Um, I, 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 I mean. I'm not a prospect expert. I've seen him play on some grainy video online a few times. <laughs> yeah. uh, I did see him in person that one time when we, the Hawks played in Prague against Ice Baron Berlin, but that was before we knew he was going to be the guy. Um, 
he, for everything I've heard about him, everything I've seen, he's a really good compliment for a player like Patrick Kane because his, he's got a good knack for going into the corners and coming out with the puck. He's got some playmaking ability. He's got some speed. He's a good skater, good shooter. He's kind of all-around player. Um, he's a young guy. You know, he's 18, 19 years old, but he's, you know, hung with men in the uh, in the German league. So uh, the Hawks have had a lot of success with guys who have hung, who played well in, the, in those European leagues. They think he can come in. They're going to give him every opportunity to make the team at his camp. And if he does make the team out of camp, they're not going to stick him on the fourth line with David Kampf. OK, that's good. Yeah, you, you mentioned last year that Carlton loves David Kampf. Loves himself on David <laughs> Kampf. He might. It's possible he loses David Kampf to Seattle. That would be a dark day for Jeremy Carlton. Oh, okay. Well, I was going to ask you about the whole Seattle thing. What's your current prediction of what Chicago is going to do there and what they're hoping will happen and like what might happen? I think they're going to wind up like it, it, it when I when I I did the I did a, a projection last week and what I came up with was I can't figure out a way for them to protect Adam Gaudet. And okay. if I'm Seattle, that's the guy I take because that's a guy with a high ceiling, still a young guy. He's affordable and he just figured out some kind of medical condition he had with the stomach where he's finally able to put on some weight that he's been dealing with for a couple of years now. That That's the guy that I would protect, but I don't think the Hawks are going to protect him. So you could lose him. You could lose Calvin DeHaan is certainly going to be exposed. Good serviceable defenseman, uh, $4.5 million contract, so nothing too uh, egregious there. Um, but also, like, you know, maybe maybe Seattle's going to go cheap. Maybe they just realize they need some bottom six guys, a David Kemp, guy who can win some faceoffs, very good defender. Maybe he's appealing. Ryan Carpenter, a good penalty killer on a million-dollar contract. There's... There's less exciting options for Seattle, but there's guys that they could take that they'll have, they'll have, or even Malcolm Subban. Malcolm Subban, if you're looking for, you know, there's a lot of goalies available to Seattle, but you can't, you know, maybe you want a cheap number three. And Malcolm Subban played really well last year, and maybe he's your guy. Interesting, yeah. So I guess not one of the big names that Seattle's going to get are going to come from Chicago, but like a serviceable guy. No, they're not. The Hawks aren't going to lose a star, but they're going to lose a legitimate NHL player. Okay, that's right. Okay, and uh, I guess, uh, I guess, like you said, he's not a prospect anymore. I did want to quickly get your thoughts on Ian Mitchell going back to the D. He had that really strong career at the University of Denver. Uh, he played his first year this year, 39 games at seven points, only played like 15 minutes a game. So obviously, this wasn't too much of a coming out party for him. But like, how's the organization feeling about Mitchell at this point? Is he like a, like a top four guy? He he had a he had a, an interesting rookie season because he came out really well. He looked really good early on, and then he was the first one to really hit the rookie wall. Like a lot of guys hit the wall hard this year because of the the compressed schedule and everything like that, and the, and the weirdness of the season. Uh, he started looking a little flustered and a little overwhelmed at times. Uh, I, I think he'll be fine. I think they do see him as like a second pairing guy, maybe less than a than a top pairing guy than they had hoped. I think he's someone who could benefit from some extended time in Rockford in a normal AHL season, playing 22 minutes a night, all special teams. Uh, I think he'll be fine in the long run. But right now, you know, someone like Wyatt Kalanick, uh, who they signed out of Wisconsin last year, he he's he's the guy that stepped in and looked most impressive of these young guys. Nicholas oh. Bodan uh, is another guy who you know showed flashes, really really capable and calm with the puck but he's another guy who could use some real extended time in rockford um you know, mitchell's in the mix he's certainly in the mix but if 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 huge if this is just baseless speculation if they were going to make a trade some kind of big splash and they do have to trade people they have too many guys uh mitchell would be i i think he'd be an easy one to throw into a package all right so let's do mitchell kubali you get seth jones sign him right away <laughs> throw the, you'll, have, you'll have to throw the number 11 pick in there too i'm pretty sure. okay why not Go this ahead, draft sure why not why not <laughs> okay yeah this has been so fun i still have so many players i want to ask you about but obviously your time is very valuable so let's wrap this up i want to ask you uh 
this is a question we've been asking to all the beat writers we've been interviewing. Let's say going into next season, I want to ask you to pick one Chicago Blackhawk who you expect to be like the biggest surprise next year. You know, someone who maybe people aren't expecting too much from them. If they pick them in their fantasy drafts right at the end, it's going to be like, wow, I can't believe I got him so late. And then on the other hand, who's a player who you think might be like overrated at this point? Maybe will end up being a bit of a disappointment to people who are expecting something from and he won't, you know, produce that high. Um, man, it's hard because I think the guys, the, you know, like I, I, Lucas Reichel would be the guy I would target. If you're looking for someone oh, yeah. who's going to produce a lot that you don't expect to, I think he would be the most interesting one because I think we know what everybody else is. I okay. think everybody else is no, nobody else having a big season would be a surprise because the guys that could do it have already done it. Uh, guys I would stay away from, I would stay away from Jonathan Taves just in case I don't just because we don't know if and when he'll be back. Uh, and Kirby Doc. Don't put too much stock in him as an he is a really good hockey player. I'm not so sure he's a great fantasy player just yet. I see. Okay. Interesting choices. Uh, it'll be fun to see how both of those play. I guess Lucas Reichel, first he has to make the team and play significant time. Well, yeah. He does, hey, yeah. put me on the spot. I'm thinking two guys off the top of my head. No, for sure. No, I really appreciate it. I really appreciate being able to talk with you uh, for this past half hour. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, maybe before I let you go, do you want to just let people know how they can follow all of your great work uh, You know, on The Athletic, the podcast? Uh, yeah, follow me on Twitter at Mark Lazarus or just go to theathletic.com and uh, subscribe and read all of our cool stuff. Yeah, you're also, we talked about it last year, your book, uh, If These Walls Could Talk, the Chicago Blackhawks stories with the Chicago Blackhawks ice locker room and press box. Yeah, the Blackhawks have done nothing since that book came out. So the book still holds up. That's the one good thing. Yeah, you get the whole story of all those cup wins. <laughs> all right. Thanks so much again, Mark. It's been a blast. Good luck to the Hawks next year. And I can't wait to see what they do in this offseason. All right. Thanks for having me. It was fun. Thanks so much again to Mark Lazarus for that great interview. Man, that half hour just flew by. I was like, I don't even think I took a breath in that time. I wanted to get through so many players, and we we really got the goods. I'm really excited to see what this team can do. I don't know. I feel like after all of these interviews, I'm always like higher on the team. And obviously, not all of these teams are going to be amazing. But I don't know. Chicago, I guess a lot of players kind of have to work out, like Doc and Boakvist. Like, if if all these guys take a step forward, and that's obviously a big if, this could be an exciting team next year, though. And now I'm really excited to see what they're going to do with this offseason. If they could pick up like a star defenseman, that could change everything. And obviously, Kevin Lankin's last to be amazing. Blah, blah, blah. You already heard me talk all about the Blackhawks. I guess you don't need to hear anymore. Thanks so much for listening to the show. I really hope that you are enjoying the 32 Beats Beat Writer Series. I guess you must be. Otherwise, you would have stopped listening by now. The people who are still listening, just want to say like a heartfelt thanks because I know right now isn't peak time to be listening to Fantasy Hockey Podcasts. A lot of people have dropped off and we won't see them until September. So you are the creme de la creme of our listeners. We really value it. Uh, if I've never met you, if you're not a patron, which is fine, you don't have to be a patron. I'd love to just hear from you. Say hello. Let me know that you're a listener. Tweet us at Keeping Carlson on Twitter. Uh, I'd love to know you're out there. And obviously, if you have any fantasy questions, you know it's our slow time so we're happy to dish out as much advice as we can think of uh, but if you do want to become a patron join our community we're having some fun over on our discord uh you know talking about the playoffs we're ranking players for next year just a bunch of fun things uh we have some ideas of other things we'll do in the summer maybe some drafting mock drafting we'll get that going soon uh so if you're interested in any of that check out keepingcarlson.com slash patron for all the information about our patreon program including our summer promotion only a dollar a month so it basically costs you nothing you join the community see how you like it uh but okay thanks again so much for listening i think i'm gonna stop with my blabbering go eat some dinner so let's cue the outro music and i guess as far as credits go once again mark lazarus is at mark lazarus on twitter he got himself that primo handle he's senior writer at the athletic i'll link to that in the show notes if you're not a subscriber to the athletic that's where we're getting the most of our beat writers because we know that's where the goods come from he's the author of that book these walls could talk chicago blackhawks stories from the chicago blackhawks ice locker room and press box you can check that out also the lazen powers podcast uh, yeah, I guess those are my credits. It's all the stuff that Mark Lazarus knows about the Chicago Blackhawks. So, okay, that is it for me. Uh, we'll be back at you with another beat writer interview 
uh, pretty soon. I'm actually still working on scheduling the next one, so who knows what team it'll be. I'll tell you one thing. It won't be about the Canadians or Vegas or Tampa or the Islanders because we're going to wait till their seasons are over. But everyone else is up for grabs. Uh, so until next time, just remember that fantasy hockey is for everyone.